Greetings to each one. Thank you, Floyd, for reading that portion of scripture. It's good to be here with you again this morning. Last Sunday morning, we had an opportunity to be at uh, Cumberland, Maryland. We went to church with Jonathan and Aaron and their family, and so we enjoyed that time uh, with them yet last Sunday morning. <clears throat> I can truly testify that in the last weeks, especially for some reason, it seems like God has been speaking in, in clear and real ways and just um, little tidbits in the morning devotionals and just recently in Jeremiah 31, 32, 17 through 19 in the ESV, Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. You show steadfast love to thousands, but you repay the guilt of the fathers to their children after them. O great and mighty God, whose name is the Lord of hosts, great in counsel and mighty indeed, whose eyes are open to all the ways of the children of men, rewarding each one according to his ways and according to the fruit of his deeds. I am so thankful this morning for the privilege to serve a God who has an outstretched hand and nothing is too difficult for him. I'm grateful for that. A number of months ago, I was asked uh, to consider coming to Mount Pleasant Mennonite Church to preach in their Sunday evening service. Uh, Marcus was there a few months ago and, and was si- assigned a topic called Brotherhood Relationships. And so as, in, in considering that and then the, and the timing and sequence of events ended up that I'm preaching here this morning and then there this evening and it actually worked out all right. I figured I would preach the same message here for us all this morning especially uh, focusing on, on the church and relationships within the church and how that works. Floyd mentioned in, in the verses that he read, he pointed out the, the, the seven things that are one, one faith. You can open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. We'll be looking at some of Ephesians 4 and 5 and, and some in chapter 3 as well. So you could just uh, keep your Bible, Bibles open to that if you want to follow along. In chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. And and he sets that as the foundation, as the, the starting point when this conversation about the church and what its members consist of. There is one body and one spirit. This is the foundation of the church. One God. There's one foundation. And, and, and in, when we think of one spirit, the same spirit has awakened all of us. The same spirit has enlightened all of us. The same spirit has convicted all of us. And the same spirit has converted all of us. So there's one spirit has done all this work in all of us here today, I trust. And then one God and Father of all, who is above all, not many gods, just one God. Floyd already mentioned that, who is above all and through all and in you all. <clears throat> and this is the foundation, I believe, of the church. For the foundation to be effective, there needs to be defining factors. Anyone who has ever done any work in construction knows that 
when you start building a building, there's, there's a starting point that you work off of, and then there's, uh, there's lines drawn from that. There's dimensions taken from that point. There's one point, and that, for the church of Jesus Christ, is Jesus himself. Ephesians chapter 2, 19 through 22 say, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building is fitly joined together, in whom all the building fitly framed together, groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, and whom ye also builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. So there's one God, there's one Father, there's one foundation, Jesus Christ. And the apostles and the early church leaders laid the preliminary foundations. Today, we build on that. Jesus Christ himself is the head. Everything must be referenced to him. Chapter 4, verse 16 says, From whom the whole body fitly joined together. From whom is the thought I want to pull from that verse. There's, there's a defining factor that this whole body is pulled from. <clears throat> Isaiah 28 and 16 speaks of a time, Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. So there's one foundation. There's one God and one Father. And then it's interesting to me, and I think this is the puzzle of life, that we probably never will completely figure out. But if you look through verses 7 through 11. Actually, let's start. Verse 7 says, he, but is a key verse that I want us to remember. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. I'm switching now from the foundation of the church to what the church is made of. The building bricks, if you please, or if you please the building blocks of the church, what it consists of. So there's one God, but we have many members, and we know that. There's many members. And verses 11 through 12, verse 11 talks about the different gifts that are given. He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. I'm not going to spend a lot of time going into definitions of these different aspects of gifts. Um, Romans teaches some of the gifts to us in 1 Corinthians. It's mentioned as, as well. I'll reference that some um, uh, more in the, in the throughout the message. But looking particularly here at Ephesians chapter 4, we have the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. And it's, you know, it, it's not real difficult to take this list and see that there is a lot of differences in this list. You could say that the apostles, the apostles are the delegates, the, the messengers. They, they have the message. Um, the prophets are the ones who are declaring the will of God. And then there's the evangelists who have an eye for the lost. And the pastors are more the shepherds. They're caring for the weak. And the instructors, the teachers are the instructors, knowing how to decipher right and wrong. And, and as I looked at this, I saw some differences here the apostles we would be to me 
uh, seems to be the one who has the purpose. He's, he's got a message, and he has a purpose in his, uh, that he's pursuing or that, he, that, that motivates him. And the prophet is, is the one with the power. He has, he's declaring the will of God. He's sure that, that what he knows and what he believes is right. And then the evangelist is the one who has the passion, and they're driven. They're they're about in care for the lost. They're, they're driven. Uh, Randy mentioned uh, Paul's drive for the lost, his care for the lost, his passion to preach and spread the gospel, his passion to bring glory to God, and that we see evidence. And and these can can mix and and, and overlap as well. But this is just kind of how I was seeing it as I was studying this. And then the pastors are the ones who have the patience. And they, they're the ones who take, take care of the weak. And they, can, they take the time to, to, to walk beside the ones carrying the load. They take the time to listen. They take the time to, to care and to, you know, and, and they move a little slower than the prophet does, for instance. And then you have the teachers who have the perception. And, and to them, they analyze and they categorize things and 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 stuff makes is more in, in lines and clear boxes um, and they can they can explain that to each other now think about that a little bit um, the differences in these five people we could reduce it to individuals I see uh, the prophet for sure is the one who he wants to move he wants to make it happen right and then the pastor is the one who's just slowing it down a little bit. And, and, the, and, the, and the teacher is saying, but you don't quite have it right. It's No, it's this. You know, we have three T's and four I's behind every subcategory in our, in our uh, uh, outline, in their outline. Um, and we have the apostle who, who's, who has this message that he's really feeling passionate about. And so... You see the potential here. In, in, in a, I'm trying to make sure I don't get ahead of myself because I'll, I might go into this a little more. But over the years, as people, uh, we've been intrigued with personalities, right? When I was um, mid to upper teens, the talk was um, Personality Plus by Tim LaHaye. Uh, melancholy, flag, sanguine, um, choleric. You know, those were the things that we were analyzing and discussing. And, and, you, and now, since then, there's been a whole host of things. You know, there's the Enneagram, and, and there's the DISC profile. Um, and actually had occasion here in the last three months, I think it is, four months maybe, to, to do the DISC profile twice. And then more recently, um, I became aware of another one, and it's called the working genius, and and that Patrick Lenciani takes our, our uh, work habits and or the things that we to drive us and 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 bring life to us and, and puts it into six categories, and we each have two that are primary, two that are the middle, and then two that just really wear us out. We can do them all, but the two that really wear us out. And so so there's been this intrigue right over years. Um, with personalities, and it's actually not a bad idea, I believe, to um, consider these things. And I believe that's actually a lot what what uh, is being written about here in Ephesians and, and Romans and Corinthians. And 
it's important, I believe, that as a brotherhood, that we at least are aware. Maybe we don't have to understand it. Maybe we don't have to decipher it. I know when I was a teenager, I struggled a little bit because I felt like some of the people who were really big into it were just critiquing everyone they saw, right? And, and I don't think that's the purpose of that. The purpose of this is to understand and to understand you and to understand me and to understand how this all works together. And I think that's what um, the book of Ephesians is, is bringing to our mind that there's different uh, gifts and there's different abilities. Some are po- apostles. Some are prophets. Some are evangelists. Some are pastors and teachers. And it's not that everybody is all of those things at once and actually uh, everybody shouldn't be. And so if you look at this, and we all know this well, right, um, that there's a lot of potential for, sh- for uh, uh, clashing um, and the strong Ds in the disc profile, for instance, clashing with the strong Cs who are completely in the opposite quadrant. And yet when we see the gifts and the purposes, um, we can build on that and grow together. And that's what the Apostle Paul or the writer here at Ephesians says the purpose of it is for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Which is takes me into the next section. I've already started on sort of work going ahead of myself. But understanding the why of the gifts that God has given to the church, I think is huge and an important part of us understanding, of, of working together as a brotherhood and maintaining good relationships. Ephesians 4, 12 through 17, I've already alluded to, talks about the why that God has given all these gifts to to the members and remember that there's one God there's one faith there's one church but there's many members and there's many gifts and the purpose of these gifts is for the perfecting of the saints which is the work within the church uh, building each other up growing each other in our faith and for the work of the ministry which can be applied to the work that reaches outside of the church to the lost the edifying and the edifying of the body of Christ, which to me looks like the the reaching out to um, other churches and the, uh, the larger body of Christ. So, sort of three different categories of work: one within the church, one reaching out to the lost around us, and another in edifying the body of church, uh, uh, the the body of Christ at large. <clears throat> but all the gifts are for the perfecting of the saints. So we all come. I appreciated Floyd's emphasis on the word all. I had not noticed that in the devotional as, as much as he had. Till we all come in the unity of the faith, verse 13, of the knowledge of God. And I find it interesting, and I, and I think if we're honest with ourselves, we all need, we recognize that we need each other because your walk with God or your experience with God as, as we discuss it and share 
together encourages me or helps me see an aspect of God that that I don't see. And, you know, really somebody with a different gift than I have will preach this same message in a different way. And that's okay. It's not that one gift is, I wanted to emphasize that, it's not that one gift is right and one gift is wrong. It's not necessarily one gift is better and the, the other is not or more, one gift is more important than the other not so important. And I appreciate when we go through some of these things like the disc profile and working genius or whatever platform it is that you're going through this on, that, that, we, that we learn it from the standpoint of not one is better than the other, it's just different aspects. And, and this is how they affect each other, and this is how sometimes we collide, and this is how we can learn to work together, too, when we recognize these differences and accept them. And I'll address that a little bit more specifically later. But the purpose is, so we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of God, to grow in perfection, to grow into the fullness of Christ, to grow in stability. Verse 14 talks about being tossed to and fro. And we see it today. As much as ever, and I think it's been age-old, actually. But we see it today. So much information coming our way. So many options. So many possibilities. So many, how can we decipher right from wrong in the world that we're facing with the information that's being placed in front of us? It's why we have the brotherhood. It's why we have different gifts within the brotherhood. The prophets will see one thing. The apostles will see another. The evangelists will see it another way. And, And as we pull that all together, it helps us to keep, it grows us in stability and keeps us from being tossed about with every wind of doctrine and it helps us to ward off deception <clears throat> with the ultimate goal in 15 and 16, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. There's so much going on in this verse. The whole body fitly joined together, every joint supplying, working to the effect, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part. Um, I need to keep moving, but there's a lot that could be said on that verse. <clears throat> may grow up into him, each part, each gift, each person, each individual contributing to the, to the church from the gift that he has been given. And then chapter 3, verses 7 through 12, gives us another reason why. To make all men see. Verse 9 says, And to make all men see which is, what is the fellowship of the mystery, which is which from the beginning of the world hath been hidden God who created all things by Jesus Christ. I don't think I'm going to spend much time on this point. We'll keep moving. One of the purposes, I believe, of the church is to show to the world how to do relationships, how it works when we have differing gifts and differing abilities, differing personalities, and how to do, yes, and to show the world how to do relationship. Many members, many gifts, um, how does this come together? How does this work? How can we get along? I remember some years ago, 
and you may have heard me say this before, I'm not sure, but it's been a number of years ago, uh, talking with a business, a person we were doing business with, and we interacted quite frequently, and it seemed like if we were ever going to have any problems, it was with this particular company. And it got to the point where we sort of getting frustrated with each other, and we actually talked about it over the phone. And then he told me something that was really interesting and I've never forgotten. He said, more interaction we have, the more opportunity there is for misunderstanding and frustration. And I think we need to think about that as we, the people that we rub shoulders with the most. And, and we might get together as a church and we, we spend more time perhaps with each other in church than we do some groups of people or for sure the people we work with. Let's, let's, let's th think about it from that aspect, the people that we work with, the people that, or even our families, and, and the people that we interact with the most is where the, the most potential is for us to grind and for us to get um, frustrated and have misunderstandings with each other. And so we need to be aware of that. Just being aware of that and thinking about that even helps us. Thinking about how this should work and how we should all work together as a brotherhood. I think another thing that we need to keep in mind is in Romans 12. Romans 12, verse 3, he says this, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. I think in... Um, I think there's another verse here in Romans. I didn't jot it down. I can't see it real quickly, but emphasizing the point that we need to consider that God has given the gifts as he wills. He's given you the gifts you have because that's what he chose to do. He's given you the gifts that you have because that's what he chose to do. It wasn't my choice. It wasn't your choice. He designed and orchestrated each of us and what gifts we have. The choice that we have is what we do with it and how we steward the gift that he has given to us. There it is, verse 6, Romans 12. Is that what I just read? Yes, Romans 12, verse 6, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. And so with the gift that he gives us, he gives, as individuals, he gives us grace for that gift. He doesn't give me grace for your gift, and he doesn't give you grace for mine. He gives us grace for the gifts that we have. And I've already mentioned that just recognizing and, and identifying the differences that, that we have with it amongst each other the different gifts is what I mean, can help us um, understand each other better. And speaking of the spiritual gifts, disc profile, working genius, whatever it is, a platform it is that you use, I think one of the things we have to caution against and is that we don't justify our actions or excuse our actions um, based on the the gift, oh, well, that's just my gift. I'm a strong D, I know, I irritate people. Um, that's, that's not the purpose for understanding them. The purpose for understanding them 
is to know how we can steward it, it better. <clears throat> I'd like to focus on a few um, elements now for good relationships within a brotherhood. Of course, you can imagine love is the key ingredient. Romans 12 talks about love. I'll just read a few verses. Romans 12, verse 9. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another. With brotherly love, in honor, preferring one another. We could stop there. Verse 11 says, Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. If we would take these things and apply them to how our, our gifts affect each other, it would be a, a big step in learning how to work together or in working together well. And I, I would do want to say in, in this message, in preaching this message, I see for us as a, a church here at Mine Road, this just being a reminder, almost preaching to the choir. I don't feel like um, we're about to fall apart or whatever, and, and we really need to hunker down and figure out our relationships with each other. We need to grow, yes. But um, take it as a reminder or an encouragement. <clears throat> Humility is a big part in our, in our relationships with each other. And just uh, a few weeks ago, in my personal devotions, I, I read Philippians 2. And this is in, in the ESV again. Philippians 2, 1 through 8. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy, being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Now, this verse is what really got me. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And I was hit by that one. What if I would actually live this out in my day-to-day -day life with everybody that I work with, that I live with, that I interact with? Nothing from selfish ambitious ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. And he goes on to talk about Jesus Christ and the mind that he has. Verse 6, who, though he was in the form of God, did not commit, did not count Equality with God, to, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Self-centeredness is probably one of the biggest hindrances to good relationships, be it in the church or, or anywhere. So other-centeredness instead of self-centeredness <clears throat> is a key in good and healthy relationships. And I didn't take the time, but you could. In Romans 12, we had some the phrase one another a few times. And if you would read Ephesians and read Ephesians, say, chapter 3 through 4 and 5 for sure, and just read, just take note of how many times the phrase one another is used or some um, version of that phrase, one another. And I think that, that we need to focus, that we need to 
to remember that the gifts that have been given to me, the abilities that I have, the personality that I have, is for each other, for me to, to, to benefit, to bless the people around me, to live for the good of others and not for my own personal gift or personal um, pride or self-centeredness. Other-centeredness rather than self-centeredness. Some years ago, I had read or listened to Stephen Covey's book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. His habit five is stood out to me um, and has been something that I try to keep in mind often. And it's simply this, seek first to understand then to be understood. So many times when we face dif- um, differences in relationship, we want, I want to say where I'm at. I want you to understand me. I want you to know where I'm coming from. And Stephen Covey teaches, seek first to understand then to be understood. And it's amazing how uh, the, a situation will relax and how uh, dialogue can happen when we go into something seeking to understand, genuinely understand the other person before trying and not even trying to defend myself. I'm not, I'm under, I'm re, I realize that in, in what I'm presenting here are some key elements for good relationships and a brotherhood. I'm not covering everything. I'm not even intending to <clears throat> judge like we would want to be judged. Um, and you've heard the poem, you've read the poem or, or heard of it, the, the saying, um, don't judge a person until you walk a mile in his moccasins. And I found that, um, that poem, but I will not take time to read it. It makes a difference when we look at someone else from the lens of their life. Live the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have others do unto you. Now, I want to take this one step further. In thinking about um, relationships and what it takes to uh, have good relationships with each other, the things I talked about, we could, we could make a checklist and we could say, yeah, I got that, I got that, I got that, and check it off and, and make ourselves uh, feel good or look good. Actually, and, and they're, they're more in the basis of, of attitude. Um, <clears throat> another thought I had gleaned from Stephen Covey is this. He says this, paradigms are powerful because they create the lens through which we see the world. If you want to see small changes in your life, work on your attitude. But if you want big and primary changes, work on your paradigm. Your paradigm is simply how you see life or the, the, what you see life from. <clears throat> we can change our attitudes, but what if we change our paradigm or how we see life? He also, in, in, to explain that, he gives a story of a, a person. I don't know how many of you have ridden a subway or a train and... Um, I remember one year I went with a class from high school on the train to Philadelphia. We got on down here in Downingtown or Coatesville, and it was in the morning, and the teacher did it intentionally. There's sections in the train where you're supposed to be quiet at certain times of the day. I forget what the word is for it, the, the, the quiet train. I'm not sure what it is. But because it's early morning, you're supposed to be quiet. Picture this man riding on the train, and this the train stops and some passengers come in. A man comes in with three or four children and they're restless and rowdy and they, they, the man sits down 
and he just sits there and he just kind of minds his own business and does his own things. And his children are restless and his children are rowdy. They're, they're, they're making noise. They're making commotion. And the other passengers on the train are a little frustrated. They're getting annoyed by this man and his noisy children. And this man who's absent, he just seems to be totally disconnected from what's going on. And finally, somebody says something to him about, can't you get your children under control? What's going on here? And the man said, I'm sorry. We just left the hospital and their mother just passed away. What does that do to you? Do you feel a shift in how you think and how you see this situation? All of a sudden, the shift goes from being critical to compassionate. And that's how, that's what we're talking about when we talk about paradigm. What if we would see the brotherhood? What if we would see the church through the eyes of God as he sees it? How does he see the church? John 3, 16 and 17, I think, gives us a bit of a snapshot in how he sees it. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him him should not perish. Verse 17 says, For he sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. What if we would see our brothers in the church as, you know what, we're all undone human beings. We all need Jesus. We all need salvation, one as much as the other. Would that make a difference in how we relate to him? We see his patience with the church. Um, You could read Psalm 106 for an overview of that. Time and time again, the children of Israel failed God time and time again. He punished them, and time and time again, he extended mercy to them and restored their fellowship with them when they turned back to him. And we can, in this, I think we can get a picture of what the church is worth to God. What about if we would see the church as Jesus sees it? And you can go to Ephesians 5 for that. And I won't take time to go into that in much detail, but as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. He loves the church. He gave himself for the church. And he is anticipating a a time when he's going to receive this church and call it a glorious church to himself, without spot, without blemish, and without wrinkles. He's He's made provisions for that. He's done everything. What if we would see the church through the eyes of Jesus? Revelation 19 talks about, depicts a picture of great rejoicing at the marriage supper of the Lamb. I'm going to wrap this up. What if, what if the brotherhood, what, Ephesians 5 also makes an analogy between the church and marriage. And we can talk a lot about marriage. We know that our marriages need work. Um, just recently heard a young man, made me chuckle just about. Uh, he says, man, I don't know what happened. This perfect lady I married, and I wake up the next morning, and all of a sudden, three of my main pet peeves are a big part of who she is. But, you know, he's committed, and he's dedicated, and he's going to make this marriage work. And what if we would see each other in the brotherhood as that as well? I think one of the – we're here by choice. I toss sometimes whether we're here by choice or with God puts us here and we don't have a choice who we're doing church with. Um, the reality of it is any one of us could 
leave this church, go on to another church, and it wouldn't be um, hell-bound. So I'll leave that for what it's worth. But we do choose and how we respond to each other and how we see each other, and that's the point I'd like for us to consider this morning, especially considering the fact that what if we would see the sovereignty of God in the way he has dispersed and dispensed the gifts to the brotherhood around us. I also had some quotes that I've used in messages about the church. I'm not quite sure what to do with them because maybe it's one of those situations where we take the good and leave the bad, right? Uh, I have a book or had a book um, written by Joshua Harris, Stop Dating the Church. I did a little bit of research of where Josh is is today, and it's sad, very, very sad. Uh, As far as I know, he and his wife are divorced. He's walked away from the faith. Uh, Now he has a curriculum that he's promoting on how to um, decompress. Um, I'm not sure if I'm using the right words, but because of of the restrictions that religion put on you and all that. And And it's a complete turn. But anyway, this is what he said in his book. And I think, it's, I think it's true. Let's face it. Most of us probably don't picture a beautiful bride when we think of the church. Our view of the church is distorted by negative experiences or our own wrong perceptions. We, protect, we picture a particular building, a bickering dom- denomination, or some other problems. The church isn't something we're particularly proud of or drawn to in our hearts. But maybe all that would change if we looked at the church from heaven's perspective. I think that point is true. Maybe um, all that would change if we look at the church from heaven's perspective. Just one more point before I bring this to a close. What, a question I have then is what are we willing to give to be a part of the brotherhood, to be a part of the bride of Christ? Because... It takes give and take. It takes understanding, giving each other grace. Ephesians 4, verse 3, has an interesting verse, and one we know well. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The word endeavoring here is an action word, and it's one that refers to intense labor, hard work. And the reality of what we talked about so far is that we are humans and we're living here on earth. And for all our best efforts, for all our best intentions, sometimes we just really come up against each other, don't we? And we grind, disagree with each other. But it takes work and and it takes hard work. And so we need to recognize that and realize, accept it, that working together as a brotherhood takes endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in a bond of peace. It's hard work. Intensely labors what the word endeavoring means. Val Yoder says in his book, uh, I Will Build My Church, the index of how important the local church is to us is probably best indicated by how much we will sacrifice for her. I'll close with a few verses from Ephesians chapter 3, reading 14 through 19. 
For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all, with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of God, love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, and that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Let's kneel in prayer.